I'm thankful to be able to worship with you this morning as we get ready to dive into the word on Father's Day. And it's not just Father's Day, it's game seven of the finals day. And um, I'm excited about that too. Um, yeah, uh, U.S. Open, shout out to the, to the, to the Open. No, no offense, you know. I got you, Dean. But when it's game seven, brother. All right, all right, we're back, we're back, we're back. Um, I want to go ahead and pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago as we have been walking verse by verse through a glorious book in the Bible called Philippians. And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you need one or would like one, we'll walk one down to you right now if you just slip your hand up. Anybody want a Bible, need a Bible? Okay, we're good. Praise God. Go ahead and open to Philippians 2 or scroll to Philippians 2 or turn your gaze to the screen at Philippians 2. We're going to spend our time in three verses, verses 19 through 21, as we have been walking through this chapter for the last couple months, and it has been a journey and a joy to see what God unfolds for us in Philippians 2. Have you guys enjoyed God's Word through Philippians 2? Has it been good for you? Has it been challenging? It has for me. Um, continuing to practically walk these verses out in my own life has been very beneficial. Um, so here we are. We've made it to the last 11 verses of this chapter, and we're going to finish this chapter up strong. And really, the, the, the neat thing about the last 11 verses, and we're going to compile them into four, chap or four weeks, is that the last 11 verses focus in on two primary characters. And we take an in-depth look at these two characters. One is a young man by the name of Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Timothy. Timmy. Timothy. And the other is one of my personal favorites, Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. Yes. Yes. So we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about Timothy and the following two weeks talking about Epaphroditus. And I guarantee you we're going to learn some good things through their lives. So be ready to learn from these brothers in Christ. Um, be ready to be challenged by their lives and be encouraged by them as well. So let's go ahead and finish up chapter two very strong. The first two themes that we saw throughout this chapter, the first one was this idea of serving. And we looked at Jesus as our model for what it looks like to be humble and to serve. The last few weeks we talked about this S word, shine, right? Shine. And, and this time, we're jumping into the third S word of this chapter, which is send. So Philippians 2, in three words, serve, shine, send. I hope that Walk Church would be defined by these three words. We're a church that serves each other, serves in the community, serves uh, our, our church well. I thank God for our setup and teardown team who served powerfully this morning to get us to the place we're at today. Um, I pray that we're a church that shines. When people see your life, they're like, that person is shining in a dark place. That person is shining on their team. That person is shining amongst their coworkers. That person is shining in their family. But the last piece of Philippians 2 is something that we're passionate about here at Walk Church. That's the subject of send. When the church becomes humble, she sends. She doesn't just keep everything for themselves, but she's a sending church. We want to be a sending church. The Philippian church was a sending church. They sent guys like Epaphroditus. They sent guys like Timothy. Paul was a sending apostle church planter. 
we can learn from them today. So if you're at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, just go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. God, I do pray that you would speak to us through your word. Open my heart, God. Just ask God to open your heart right now. God, open our hearts. Teach us, God. They don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So God, unpack these verses for us. Allow us, God, to learn through Timothy. Ultimately, allow us to learn from Jesus. For we follow him and him alone. In the good Father's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you guys there, if you're there, say, let's eat. If you're there, look at the person next to you. Say, I'm hungry. All right, good. We got some hungry folks. Paul writes this to the Philippian church. He says, starting at verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about these three verses today in light of something that I learned about a few years ago when I was playing college basketball. I am a basketball theologian, okay? So I oftentimes think of basketball combined with theology, and that's just where my heart is, okay? And when I was in college, we had this thing called the scouting report. And Every time we played a team and we would go against our opposing team, our coaches would come in the week before and they would give us all a packet, right? And in this packet would be specific players that we needed to be focused on for the upcoming game. It would have a little picture of them and then it would have some snapshot highlights and some weaknesses and some strengths and some statistics and their background info and stuff that we needed to be focused on. Sometimes we'd even be tested on before the game. They would ask, they'd say, hey, Hayden, who's number 22? What do we need to know about him for this game? If you didn't know, that might, you, you might not have played that game. It was that intense. Well, today, I want us to do a scouting report on Timothy, okay? And we're going to look at Timothy. We got a picture of Timothy, all right? Let's go ahead and pull up Timothy. If we got an image of Timothy, can you guys pull him up real quick? That's Timothy. That's young Timothy, all right? That, that's young Timmy. And we're going to do the scouting report on Timmy. We're going to walk through his life over the next two weeks. And we're going to see what we can learn through, through Timothy. There's different ways we can study the Bible. And I want to continue to invite you and encourage you to be a person of the word. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it means to hold fast to God's word, to be a person who lives in God's word. As John Wooden said, he said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Dig deep in the Bible. Dig your heels into the Bible and stay in God's word. Hold fast to God's word. One way that you, can, that, that you can try out different reading techniques is by doing character studies. And at times you can go ahead and say, you know what? Uh, instead of just reading through a book, I'm going to focus in on a character. And I'm going to study this person's character. Here's what Rick Warren says about a character study. He says this. He says, select a Bible character. Research all the verses about that person in order to study his life and characteristics. Make notes on his attributes, strengths, weaknesses, and then apply what you have learned to your own life. I read this quote and I said, oh, a scouting report. Very cool. We can do that. And we can do that with Timothy today. Let me just go ahead and remind you and bring you up to, to, to pace if this is your first time visiting Walk or you haven't been with us along Philippians chapter 2. 
Uh, since we started Philippians 2, we've actually seen two other characters up to this point. I just referenced them briefly, but it's, 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 it's beneficial that you know. At the beginning of Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11, we focused in on Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. And in specifically in verse 5 through 11, one thing that's really neat about Philippians 2 is Paul, the author, says, you guys, church, should be humble. You should live your life on mission. You should model the life of Jesus. And then he went on to tell us what Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do, Hyden? Well, what Jesus did was he was in heaven and he said one day, you know what? I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to become a baby. And I'm going to start this thing called Christmas. And I'm going to humble myself to be born in a manger. And I'm going to live the, the, the life that you and I have already failed. The perfect life. And Jesus lived 33 years sinless. The life that you and I were supposed to live, Jesus did it. And not only that, he lived a, a, a human life. A carpenter. Born in Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? Only the Messiah. Right? And Jesus lived that life for us. But not only did he live the life for us, what did he do? He died the death that we deserved. Jesus died in our place on the cross. We worship a king that died for us. That's how much he loved us. For God so loved, put your name in that blank, that he gave his son, Jesus, for you. But Jesus didn't stay dead, amen? Jesus rose from the grave on Easter, right? 2,000 plus years ago, resurrected out of the tomb. Nina and I have been to Jerusalem. We have walked in the place that they believe is the empty tomb. He's not there, okay? And what he did was he ascended into heaven. He's making intercession for us who would believe in him, who would believe in Jesus Hamashiach, the Messiah, the living, risen, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, capital K, capital L, that Jesus is powerful enough to save you today and change you today and resurrect your life the same way he did in the scriptures. And we learned about how that Jesus humbled himself to become a baby, to become a man, to die for us. And now Paul says, how much more should you humble yourself? If you were to model yourself after Jesus, we should be humble. We should serve. Well, then he goes on to say, Paul, the apostle says, when you become like Jesus, you'll shine. Jesus said he's the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. When we have Christ in us, we become that city on a hill. We become that light in the darkness. And Paul says, so work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work on your salvation. He says work it out with fear and trembling, not complaining, not arguing, not grumbling. For when you do that, you shine as a light in this world. And then Paul goes on to talk about himself. He says, for even I am being poured out like a drink offering. And we talked about what that means to be poured out, to have our lives be poured out as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and filled and said, God, it's yours. Use me. Pour me out. Take me, God. I am yours. And Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of your God's faith, Philippian church, and I'm giving my life. I'm in jail for the gospel. And so we saw Jesus' life as humble. We saw Paul's life as humble. And that catches us up to verse 19 today. And here's what I want to make mention to you guys. You may be tempted to think, well, pastor, that's Jesus. You want to really compare me to Jesus? Like I have to live up to that standard? And maybe you would say, man, that's the apostle Paul. Like, isn't he like 
the perfect apostle? Like, didn't he just go ahead and do it all? Like, he's a church planter. He wrote almost half the New Testament. I'm going to compare myself to him. Well, first off, Paul wasn't perfect by any means. And yes, we're all called to model our lives after Jesus. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But here's the cool thing about Philippians 2. We get to take a snapshot into two new characters that happen to just be regular people. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And maybe you're like, hey, you know what? Jesus is up here. And Paul's a little extreme for me too. But maybe I can get to to know Timothy a little bit. And maybe I can kind of be like him. All right, let's learn from Timothy's life today as we take apart his scouting report and we learn from Timothy today. Tony Marita and Francis Chan wrote a uh, commentary on the book of Philippians and they say these words right here. This passage, Philippians 2, 19 through 21, is calling us to Christ-likeness. We need to consider it carefully. By speaking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul provides concrete example of what he's been talking about in the previous two chapters. So Paul gave us all this instruction, Timothy and Epaphroditus, live it out. Oftentimes in the New Testament epistles, Paul will leave his exhortation or his traveling journeys toward the end of the letter. He'll finish his letters with, all right, now, Timothy, now, Epaphroditus, take the letter and do this. Give this greeting. But why does he do this in chapter 2? There's still two more chapters left. The reason we believe he does this in chapter 2 is because he wants to give us practical examples of people that are doing the things that he just taught about. Does that make sense? Are you all ready to open the page of the scouting report? If you're ready, say, let's go. Let's go. Okay, pull up the scouting report for me back here. Um, We're going to look at this, the scouting report of young Timothy today. All right? We're going to break down his character. We're going to learn about this brother, and we're going to be encouraged by his life, and I believe challenged in some ways as well. We learned today that Timothy, based off of all the accounts of Scripture that we've studied on his life, he, first off, his name is Timotheus in the Greek. All right, Timotheus, and that means honoring God, honoring God. Timothy was a man that honored God with his life. He's born in the city of Lystra. At least we believe that's where Paul found him in Lystra. Uh, it's a city in Lyconia. It's, it is in Asia Minor along the Galatian border. So it's close to the Galatian church. And Paul took a missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, preached the gospel there, offended a lot of people. They kicked him out of the city. Acts chapter 16, because Paul was a bold, courageous dude, says, I'm going back to Lystra. And he happens to run into a cool guy named Timothy. And we actually are going to learn about that right now in Acts chapter 16. You can turn with me if you want. We'll pull it up on the screen there for you. Here's what we see in Acts chapter 16 as we first get introduced to Timothy. The text says that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for their observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We learn a few things about Timothy in this chunk of scripture. This is the first time we're introduced to Timothy. Timothy is a major character in the life of the apostle Paul, in the life of many of the 
apostolic letters that we read about, specifically in Philippians, and we need to learn a little bit about him today. The first thing we see is that Timothy was a disciple. In Acts chapter 16, in verse uh, 1 through 5, it says, Paul met a man named Timothy who was a disciple of Jesus. Now, maybe you would ask, how did he come to know Jesus? I'm convinced that Timothy became a disciple of Jesus, became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because of his upbringing. Because Timothy had a mom and a grandma that were women of God's word. And they invested in his life. Let me prove it to you guys. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we get a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And here's some of the words he says. Paul says, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Here's my encouragement to you today, moms and grandmas. Invest in your kids. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. Paul says, hey, Timothy, you were invested in. Paul says, Timothy, your mom poured into you. Your grandma poured into you. You have been given the wisdom to receive salvation. And guess what? That wisdom came from the left side of the book. This was before Jesus was yet there in the flesh. There was prophetic messages about this one day Messiah who would come and lead and bring salvation. And Timothy's mom taught him. Timothy's grandma taught him. That should give you hope, grandmas. Raise up kids. Invest your life in them. Invest the scriptures in them. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says these words right here. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandma Lois. And your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Paul met his grandma, Lois. He met his mother, Eunice. And he said, these are some godly women right here. Paul said, hey, these deserve a shout out in the letter. God made sure that Lois got a shout out. God made sure that we today at Walk Church knew about Eunice, Timothy's mom, because she invested him. There's a handful of ladies in the Bible that were just ballers, all right? When I say ballers, I mean that they just loved God's word and they invested it in people. Well, two of them that you got to get to know is Eunice and Lois. They played the background, right? But what they did was they invested in a young man named Timothy's life. Who would have known? that Paul would come across Timothy one day and Paul would lock in on this guy and say, you need to follow me. How many people could Paul have taken on his missionary journey? Right? Paul's planned churches everywhere. The Corinthian church, the Thessalonica church, the Galatian church, the Philippi church, the Ephesus church. Right? Paul's making disciples. He's in Rome. He's writing to the Romans. He's writing to the Galatians. He's rebuking people here. He's correcting people there. He's the guy that has an apostolic testimony in Acts 9. And Paul says, you know what? I'm grabbing the Greek boy. Here's why. Because his mom and grandma poured into him. Good news there. Paul says, I want you to come with me. Pull back up Acts chapter 16. I think that these are some powerful verses in Paul's testimony. Acts chapter 16. Look, Paul came to Derby, into Lystra, 
a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. This was a Messianic Jewish woman. She was a Jewish woman by birth, and she believed that Jesus was her Messiah. His father was a Greek, so he was probably raised in both cultures. We see that because he wasn't circumcised. Any Jewish boy would have definitely been circumcised. It was a law. For Timothy to be a teenager here and not to be circumcised was evidence that he was raised in both cultures. He was raised by his mom, who was Jewish, who became a believer in the Messiah. He was raised by his dad because he was raised in a culture where he wasn't circumcised. Yet he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. I, I want to talk about really quick this, this application point that we need to go ahead and make a priority. And I, and I know I've talked about it already, but to teach those around us God's word. I, I, I can't get away from it. Moms, grandmas, dads on Father's Day, I'm challenging you today to teach your kids about God. To teach your kids about creation. When God spoke in Genesis 1 and 2. To teach your kids about Adam and Eve. And how they were real people. And how real sin came into the world. To teach your kids about Abraham. And this radical calling that God put on his life. He said, Abraham, go. And Abraham didn't even ask where. He just went. And God filled in the gaps from there. To teach your kids about Jacob and his ladder. To te teach your kids about Isaac and Joseph and his colorful coat, to teach your kids about betrayal in Joseph's life and faith and dreams, to teach your kids about Moses and faith to go ahead and take a stand against sin and a parting of the Red Sea, to teach your kids about faith to do something crazy and lead a million people into the wilderness, to teach your kids about Passover and how God passed over the people and how God parted the sea, to teach your kids about Joshua, to teach your kids about walls coming down, to teach your kids about praying, to teach your kids about Daniel and how to have faith in a lion's den when struggle was very real and prominent, to teach your kids about Elijah who went up on a, on a chariot of fire because he had faith in God, to teach your kids about Jonah and what it looks like to be obedient to God, to teach your kids about Nehemiah, not just bringing a wall down, but raising a wall up by faith in the living God to teach your kids about Jesus, to keep, teach your kids about the gospel, to say, let me teach you about the gospel, about how all that I just said was true and how Jesus is the fulfillment of each and every one of the things I just named, about how all the prophecies point to Christ, about how all the scriptures point to the Messiah, about how Jesus said, you search the scriptures, they point to me. They point to the risen king. Paul, a Jewish man, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees says, I know this Old Testament, this left side of the book, I know it more than everybody in the whole room. And it all points to one king. And in heaven, it's all going to be about one savior, one Jesus. Lois and Eunice got that. And they said, we're not going to raise up our son to believe anything else. And they invested in Timothy he got it. And I really believe that when we do this, this is challenging for me as a dad of a one and two month year old boy <laughs> named Epaph, that we would raise him up to understand and know God and to know the scriptures. It's not too late to start. Maybe you're starting places today. 
maybe you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get into a group. Or I'm going to start reading this book for myself. Or all those different things that I just heard Pastor Hyden say, I want to know those for myself. And I want to teach somebody. You know, that, you know that Paul refers to Timothy as his child? Paul's not Timothy's dad. He's a spiritual dad. Right? And you could have a spiritual child. You could find somebody that knows less of the scriptures than you. And you could raise them up the same way Eunice and Lois did with Timothy. And we learn a lot about Timothy today. Go back to Acts chapter 16, 1 through 5, the very first time, because I want to show you guys something else too. He, he, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul singled him out like, Joey, I want you to follow me as I go on these missionary journeys. This is going to be crazy, bro. Really. Let me tell you how crazy it's going to be. And let me tell you about the, the faith that Timothy had. Paul took him and... Next, next verse, circumcised them because of the Jews who were in those places. Now, we know of Acts chapter 15, Timothy didn't have to be circumcised. Faith in the gospel is what makes you right with God, not circumcision. But the Jews didn't understand that. So if Paul wanted to really take Timothy into the synagogue to minister to the other brothers there, they would have recognized immediately, how do you, how do you know? They all knew that his father was a Greek. They knew, oh, that dude right there, he is not Jewish. We can tell by the way he looks. We can tell because we know his dad. We know Eunice and Lois. He's not coming in here, Paul. He's not circumcised. Think about this. Scholars believe that Timothy was probably an older teen right here. I don't know if they had all the types of medicine we have today. And, and Paul circumcised the brother. All right? Because he wanted to be a witness for the gospel. That's some bold faith, amen? That's some, I mean, hey, you know, let me just tell you guys something. Another guy that we find in the New Testament is a guy named Titus. In Titus's book, it clearly says, Titus chose not to be circumcised. We don't blame him. He didn't have to be. Timothy said, I want to go in the synagogue. I want to go minister at the highest level. I'm going to do whatever it takes. My, my mom, my grandma taught me about the gospel. They taught me about sacrificial. They taught me about Joshua. They taught me about Caleb. They taught me about, you know, the people, the spies and the richness of the Old Testament. Get back in the Old Testament. Read about a Jehoshaphat. Read about uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and some real faith. Come on. Timothy said, I'll do it. And because of that, look at the result. They went on their way. Paul said, follow me. They went on their way. They went through the cities. They delivered to them for the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem so that the churches were strengthened in the faith. Timothy was able to play a part in strengthening up the churches. And they increased in numbers daily. He got to be a part of that. That's pretty awesome. I just, I, I find value today on, on Father's Day. The value of pouring into the next generation God's word. As I was reading in Psalm 78, we read through Psalm 73 earlier, but Psalm 78, these verses, I shared them with my wife just yesterday. I, I, I thought this was so crucial. David writes, he said, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. It's a command from God that the next generation might know them, that the children yet unborn 
and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The reason why this happened was because there was a lack of God's word. If you go back and read books like First and Second Kings, and you just see a lack of God, you see a lack of the presence of God, you see idol worship and Baal worship all around. Do you know the reason? Because they went in the temple and there was no place for God's word. And when guys like Hezekiah came and they dug around and they found God's word and they held the book up and dusted it off and there was an uproar because they found God's word. There was a kingdom shift. Revival is going to start when we get back to the word. Revival is not going to happen when we just stand around here and sing all day. We got to make sure that we're singing songs that are informed by scripture. Because God said it like this. He said, my word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing straight through, God, through, through the heart. Jesus said in John 1, he said, I'm the word. The word became flesh. We got to be men and women of God's word. Men and women of the gospel. That's what David teaches us here today. David invested this life in his son, in his son Solomon. Solomon went on to write books in the scriptures, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I know that I've spent a lot of time here, but I want to make sure that we understand we have been given a command from God to teach the next generation, whether it's your child or someone you're discipling, to teach them about God's word. Look at the person next to you and say, teach. Tell them, teach. Amen. That's good. Okay, let me give you guys the next point. The, the, that first point was that we've been given a command to teach. All right? The second point is really that Timothy was a man of good reputation. Timothy was a man of good reputation. Looking back at our verses in Acts 16, we see clearly that he was. Here's how we know if we can pull him back up. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. His father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. As we do our character study, as we do our scouting report on Timothy, we can tell in his scouting report that this dude was well spoken of. He had a good reputation. I think it's important for us to have a good reputation. Let me ask you guys this. Why do you think Timothy had a good reputation? Why do you think Timothy was well spoken of in his city? When people in Lystra, people in Derby mentioned Timothy, they spoke highly of the brother. Why do you think that is? Here's what I'm convinced of. Here's why I believe he was well spoken of. Because he lived out the things that we've been teaching for the past couple months. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Maybe you guys remember this sermon. It goes like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Remember that verse? Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Timothy did that. Let's look at verse 14 and 16, chapter 2. Same chapter, same book, verse 14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. 
children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world of life, word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Timothy was a man who said, you know what? I'm not going to count my interests as more important than your interest, church. He says, I'm going to count your interest, church, as more important than my interest. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to dispute. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shine. I'm going to love Christ. I'm going to love people. And that right there is a testimony that will have people speak highly about you, that will gain you respect that Timothy had. I pray that we would have that. We would have a good reputation, that our church would have a good reputation, that you as an individual believer would have a good reputation. Let me give you guys this proverb. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says it like this. For I have no one, or choose a good reputation over great riches. How about that right there? Just stop right there. Think about that for a second. Just, just meditate on that right there. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. If you believe that, say amen. amen. That's a tough, tough word to say amen to. Because sometimes we think, you know what? A good reputation will cost me great riches. Remember that God desires obedience over sacrifice. Choose a good reputation over great riches. If you die with all the money in the world and no one comes to your funeral, is that good? Is that a win? If you gain the world and lose your soul, is that a win? May it never be. Solomon says, choose a good reputation over great riches. It's better to be held in high esteem. It's better for the people in Iconium and, and Lystra and Derby to speak high of you than for you to have all the silver and gold in the world. Because at the end of the day, all the silver and the gold won't fulfill you. But to be known among your brothers and sisters and high, held in high esteem, that is kingdom right there. That is good fruit. Timothy had that. As we look at Timothy's scouting report, that's something that he had. He was held in high esteem. I believe that he lived out the scriptures as we see in Philippians 2, verse 20 through 21. These are our verses for today. Philippians 2, 20 through 21. Let's look at him. Paul says these words about Philippians. He says, Philippians, I'm sending you Timothy. I have no one like this dude. Church, Paul's like, there's no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their, their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. A genuine concern for others. I'll tell you what, if you want to see our church just radically have a, a salt and light in this world. Have a genuine concern about the person next to you. Or have a genuine concern about the person behind you. Maybe you would say, I don't even know that person, Pastor. There's your chance to meet somebody new and to cultivate a genuine concern for them. You'll be like Timothy. But more than that, you'll be like Paul. But more than that, you'll be like Jesus. How about Jesus' concern for you? So much to die for you. That type of concern is the concern that Timothy had. And Paul says, Philippians, I'm about to send you guys Timothy. I don't have a single person like this guy. Genuinely concerned. He had the interests of Christ. We're getting ready to close. Uh, band, you guys can come on back up here. 
As we finish, I want to talk a little bit about, I want to close with what it means to have the interest of Christ. Because maybe if you're like me, you'd say, I want to be interested in the things that Jesus is interested in. Amen? Don't you want your interest to be aligned with God's? That would be good. I pray that our church would, would be known as a church that has the same interest that God has. Well, I believe we find God's interest in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. A young man came up to test Jesus. Joey, go ahead and stand right here, man. I just picture this young man. He's like, he's like over here with Jason, like, hey, guess what? I'm about, to, I'm about to stump Jesus. I got something. I bet you he'll answer it wrong. Hey, Jesus, watch this. What's the greatest commandment in the law? There's 613 commandments. Tell me which one's the greatest, right? And Jesus, he looks like Joey. I can imagine Jesus having this type of flow. Just like I'm, you know, dude, you're not going to get me, man. You're not. I wrote the book, all right? You can sit down, Joe. And, and, and he was just ready. And here's what Jesus responds. Greatest commandment. If we focus in on any red letter verse, it should be this one, amen? Jesus says this to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the prophets and all the law. This whole book right here, all 66 books, all 40 plus chapters, all 1,500, all of it depends on these two commandments. I've made a wristband. I put it on your seat. I didn't put it on there. Some awesome volunteer put it on there. All right? And I praise God for them. Here's what it says. It says, it says, better together. Better together. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. Here's what I believe, church, that we are better together. And, and, and here's the together. The together is vertical Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. You know what that, that means? Jesus didn't leave a single part out. You can love the Lord with your strength. You can love the Lord with your mind. You can love the Lord with your heart. You can love the Lord with your soul. You can love the Lord with your body. He didn't leave a single portion out, did he? Love the Lord with all that, all right? And secondly, love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. That's some strong love right there. Jesus says, do those two things Whatever else you want to do, you just make sure you do those two things. You do those two things, you're... if you can love God with everything and love your neighbor that same way, wow, what a church. That is what Timothy did. That is what Timothy had. Timothy said, you know what? It would be probably hard for me to take a trip all the way to Philippi from Lystra. It'd probably be hard for me to get circumcised at this age, but I love my neighbor the same way that God loves me, and I'll do whatever it takes to show him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, that right there, is the same mindset that Jesus had. Let's close by looking at our verses, Philippians 2, 19 through 21. If we can pull those up. Paul says, Philippians, good news. I hope Jesus would allow this to happen, that I would send Timothy to you soon. 
so that I too may be cheered by the news of you, because he'll bring me the report. For I have no one like him, nobody, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. My prayer is today, we would examine our hearts. Brothers and sisters in Christ, examine your heart and just examine, am I seeking my own interest? Or am I seeking the interests of Jesus by loving God and loving my neighbor? The greatest commandment. It's all fulfilled in that. We'll be like Timothy. No one like him. Let's pray.